Well, I am so thrilled to have all of you with us today at Orchard Church. Also want to give a shout out to those joining us online. If you haven't already, take out your Bibles today and turn to the Gospel of Mark. That is the second book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 10. That's where we will meet each other here in just a moment. As you're finding your way to Mark chapter 10, it is Veterans Day weekend, and I think it would only be appropriate that we recognize all of our veterans and show our love and appreciation to them. So we, can we right now have all of our veterans pass? and present would you stand right now and be recognized and let's show them how much we appreciate their service amen let's give it up for our veterans amen God bless you. We are, we are praying for you, especially those of you that are still serving our country. We know that our freedom um, was not free, and we thank you for your incredible sacrifice for our country. Well, we are in week two of our new series called Around the Table, where family happens. We're looking at some very practical things we can apply uh, to our families, to our marriages, to our parenting, and really, these things apply to all great, healthy relationships, so there's something for everyone in this series. Last week, we kicked off this series talking about the priority of parenting. Today we're going to talk about the principles of parenting. I would even call these uh, the unchanging principles of parenting that, that don't ever change. They're as old as time. Um, but unlike the unchanging principles of parenting, there are different philosophies of parenting. W wouldn't you agree that people parent differently and there's different philosophies of parenting? And I mean, our philosophies of parenting even change uh, when we have more kids, especially if you have multiple kids. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the first baby comes into the family and the baby spits out its pacifier and it falls onto the floor. And, and what, is, what do the parents do? They grab it and they boil a pot of water and they sanitize it, get it real clean again, and then they give it back to the baby. That's baby number one. Baby number two comes along, spits out the pacifier and it falls on the floor. You just kind of rinse it under the sink real quick and give it back to the baby. If you have baby number three, the pacifier falls on the floor, the dog licks it off and you just give it back to the baby and call it good, right? <laughs> Philosophies of parenting change, but the principles of parenting don't. And I, I just did a little bit of a Google search preparing for this message, looking for parenting uh, philosophies, and I came across this page called The 20 Greatest Parenting Fails. And so I grabbed a few of them. Um, these are parenting uh, things you want to stay away from. I don't know what these parents were thinking. Uh, here's one of them. Uh, this is an interesting parenting philosophy. Just put the baby on a box and buckle it in. The baby's like, Mom, what are you doing? This is this doesn't seem right. Uh, here's another parenting fail. You know, just send the kid, you know, on his tricycle down to the grocery store in the middle of a busy street, evidently. Uh, here, here's another interesting parenting uh, technique. Uh, one, that's one way to feed the raccoons, you know. I mean, what could go bad with this, right? I mean, what could go wrong? I'm, I'm guessing mom was not around when the dad decided to hold this baby over to feed the raccoons. And here's my favorite one of all. Uh, who needs a minivan, right? When you've got a motorcycle, put your whole family on it. Don't miss the, the baby in the bucket right here. So we're, these are parenting fails and philosophies we're going to stay away from. What we're going to look at is three unchanging principles of parenting. And we're actually going to learn these from Jesus Christ himself. He modeled these for us in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, uh, when one day a group of parents wanted to bring their children to Jesus. And watch what happened in this story. Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. It says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. 
But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. They're like, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for this. And when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with who? With his disciples. He wasn't angry with the parents that were trying to bring their kids to to him. He was angry with the disciples. And he said to them, to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads. And he did what, church? He blessed them he blessed the children and in this story we see jesus modeling three unchanging principles of parenting but these also apply to all good healthy relationships i hope you write these down in your notes the first thing that we see is this a loving touch the unchanging principle of parenting of a loving touch the power of a loving touch to these kids. In verse 13, it says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could, help me out church, so he could touch and bless them. And this was an appropriate touch from the savior of the world. It communicated unconditional love and acceptance to these kids. Um, As you read through the gospels, the story of Jesus, you'll find this word touch or touch 20 times um, in regards to Jesus touching someone. Sometimes it was for encouragement. Sometimes it was for blessing. uh, Sometimes it was for healing, but he would touch people. And so the parents wanted to bring their children to Jesus so he could touch them. Now it's unfortunate that to Today, this word touch has such a negative connotation in our society when we think of somebody touching a child. It's almost become this um, inappropriate word, but this was anything but inappropriate. Uh, this was loving. This was powerful. This was appropriate. Why were uh, these parents bringing their children to Jesus so he could touch them? Because there's power in a loving, appropriate touch. There's power in this uh, as a parent, especially with our kids. Uh, Think of it like this. It's like a grandfather calling his grandkids to him and say, hey, come up here, sit in grandpa's lap. Let me love on you. Let me me hug you. And, And this appropriate touching and loving and caring for his grandkids. Uh, Jesus' touch was relational. It was, it was loving. It was in, encouraging. Now, why is this so important? Why is this one of the unchanging principles of parenting, this loving touch? Well, let me illustrate it this way. History tells us a, a very interesting and kind of weird story that supposedly happened in the 13th century. Uh, there was a king, King Frederick II, and he wanted to do this experiment with babies to find out what would be the language that someone would naturally speak if no one taught them the language, if no one spoke to them. And so he gathered 50 babies in his kingdom, and he gave servants to these babies, and he said, the only thing you can do with these babies for the next about year is uh, feed them and change their diapers. That's it. Don't hug them. Don't caress them. Don't show any affection to them. Don't speak any words to them. Just feed them and change their diapers. And I want to find out what language they're going to speak. Well, he was shocked at the results of this experiment. By the end of one year, all 50 of the babies died. Not a single one of them lived. And it wasn't because of lack of physical nourishment. They were being fed, but it was a lack of emotional and relational nourishment, reminding us of the power of a loving touch and words and, and, and affection. 
Now, for some of us, this is either easier than others. Let me ask by a show of hands. Let me kind of take a poll this morning. Um, how many of you would say that you are more naturally affectionate toward other people? Would you raise your hand? You're more nat- naturally affectionate? Okay. All right, you put them down. You're the ones that don't mind sitting close to other people. Okay. How, how many of you would say you're a little bit more reserved when it comes to showing affection? You're a little more reserved. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, some of you didn't even raise your hand. You're so reserved. You're like, I'm not even playing your game, Pastor Doug. All right, just be that way. That's fine, all right? Um, I would say that I, I probably am, am more naturally reserved, believe it or not. And that, that may surprise you, but, but kind of growing up and, and uh, you know, in my 20s and 30s, I was more naturally reserved when it came to natural affection to those outside my family. I had no problem showing affection uh, to my wife and to my kids. I was kind of raised that way. There was a lot of affection in my home. But when it was people outside of my family, I was kind of more reserved when it came to affection. I, I had, I don't know if any of you are like this, kind of had these unwritten touch rules you know because when I would see somebody you know wanting to touch me or hug me because I'm really huggable I get it okay you know I'm huggable size and so I and especially when a dude would want to like bear hug me you know I'd see him coming and, and coming in for the hug and I'd be like hey how you doing you know try to give a firm handshake and look at that and then I graduated you know to the, the handshake and the guy hug you know you shake with one hand you quick pat and you release and you break you know you don't want to look weird so I kind of graduated to that but, but isn't it interesting, even if we're not naturally affectionate uh, toward other people or maybe to our spouse or to our kids, guys, when it comes to sports, we become really affectionate. You know, a guy makes a great play, gets a touchdown, yeah, yeah, man, slapping him on the butt, open-handed, never cupped hand, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. If, if you slap a guy on the butt with a cupped hand... I'd like to see you after the service. We, we need to talk, okay? But, you know, we get real affectionate. But, hey, you know, God worked in my heart through the affection with my kids and my wife and my family. And then, you know, going to other cultures. I've been on a lot of mission trips around the world. And you go to other cultures, and, man, they're really affectionate. And they're really huggy, and they're kissing on the cheek, especially the, the Latin uh, countries. Um, and, and if you need a hug today, just stay around for the 1230 Orchard Church Latino service, man. They are huggers. They are kissers. I mean, it, it's, it's affectionate is on but some of us need to learn to be more affectionate if you're not naturally affectionate especially with your family with your kids then we need to grow into this we need to to follow the example of what Jesus modeled the power of a loving touch especially when it comes to our kids this is a very very powerful thing there was a study that was done between parents and children to show us the power of an affectionate touch and this is what they found out you have this in your notes in this study they found that the need for appropriate touch dramatically increases for girls during preteen years. Uh, men, this is really important that we understand this. Um, if we will appropriately uh, hug and love on our daughters, it can be a defense mechanism against predators, against other guys that would be inappropriately trying to do this. We need to make sure that we are uh, understanding the power of this. They, they also found this, that girls are touched in loving, appropriate ways five times as often as boys. That girls are touched in loving, appropriate ways in the home five times as often as boys. However, they found boys need loving touch just as much as girls do. Boys need it just as much. Now, I understand. I I raised a teenage boy. He went through middle school and high school, and now he's 23. And, you know, as they get into teen years, you got to be more creative in your loving touch. Maybe it's wrestling, or it's a quick hug, or it's a secret handshake, or it's a knuckle bump. But don't stop, parents. Don't stop. There is power in a loving touch. 
A loving, appropriate touch. Jesus modeled this. That's why the parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could touch them. And let me say this. I think this also applies to our marriages uh, with our spouse. There's power in a loving, appropriate, non-sexual touch. And some of you men are looking at me like right now like, Pastor Doug, what is this loving, non-sexual touch you speak of? I don't even know that there is such a thing. I know, guys, it's hard to wrap your minds around such a thing as loving, non-sexual touch. But can I help you out for a moment? All right, I'm going to help you out, guys. If you'll get better at the power of loving, non-sexual touch, it might lead to some other kinds of touch. <laughs> amen? Yeah, I thought I'd get an amen from the guys on that one. All right. So what are the three unchanging principles of parenting? The first one that Jesus modeled for us was loving touch. Here's the second one that Jesus modeled in Mark chapter 10. Abundant time. Jesus modeled the importance of abundant time. We say it often that kids spell love T-I-M-E. Make no mistake about it, parents. Our kids spell love, T-I-M-E, time. Jesus knew this. He understood the importance of this. And it's interesting how this played out in the story. Let's go back to Mark chapter 10. It says, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. The parents brought their kids to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them and spend some time with them. But they were, they were scolding the parents. In other words, you know, hey, Jesus is too busy for your kids right now. He's got people to heal. He's got dead people to raise from the dead. He's got lessons to preach. He doesn't have time. But watch how Jesus responds. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was what? Angry. In the original language, Jesus was ticked off. Okay? He was mad. He was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. He understood the power of abundant time. And the kids spell love, T-I-M-E, and he made time for those children. And this is a powerful, unchanging principle that we have to apply to our relationship with our kids as well, abundant time. Let me ask you this question uh, by a show of hands, and I don't expect a huge response on this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. How many of you are NASCAR fans? Anybody like NASCAR? Okay, three of you, that's what I thought, yeah. When I pastored in Indiana, if I asked that question, it was like 98%, you know? But, but there's something we can learn from NASCAR. Uh, in NASCAR, there is what is called the pit crew. And, and, and the pit crew will determine, really, whether you win or lose the race when it comes to NASCAR. And what will happen in NASCAR is that they'll come in, and in 12 to 15 seconds, man, this pit crew will do their job. They'll go to work, and they'll change their tires. They'll gas up the vehicle. They'll change the oil, clean the windows, and give them a happy meal and send them off. And all in 12 to 15 seconds. Now, that's great when it comes to NASCAR, and that's what determines what wins or loses races, but it's not good when it comes to family time. And unfortunately, today, there are too many pit stop families. It's just zoom in and zoom out. No real abundant time, quality time, meaningful time. You know, kids come home, you know, how, how was your day? You got any homework? Did you wear clean underwear? Don't eat yellow snow? Don't have sex till you're married? See you tomorrow. And we're off. And we're zooming here and we're zooming there and we're going all over the place. And, and sometimes we don't take the time that our kids need. The abundant time, because kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I know I may be over-exaggerating a little bit that, you know, families only spend 12 to 15 seconds uh, with their kids. It's actually a lot more time than that. One study found that the average dad spends 37 seconds a day in a meaningful conversation with their kids. Man, that ought to get our attention, dads. 
that the average dad spends 37 seconds a day in meaningful conversation with their kids. The power of a loving touch, the power of abundant time, these unchanging principles that Jesus modeled for us. And I want to be sensitive throughout this series and every series. We never want to make you guys feel guilty. We never want you to feel ashamed. But we do want to be challenged to apply God's word to our lives so that we have healthier families. Amen, church? And the real, I understand that there is, there's a real world reality that can make some of these things challenging. Um, if, if both parents are working and you're coming and going and trying to provide for your family, it's tough sometimes to find that abundant time. We have to make time. If you're a single parent and you're trying to raise your kids alone and you're working, man, single parents, you're, you're my real heroes. I don't know how you do it, but you do. But that's the reality. But, but if I... And being honest, and I love you enough to be honest with you, and one of our values here at Orchard is we keep it real. Parents, if we're not careful, we'll make every excuse in the world not to give our kids the time they really need, not to give our spouse the time that they really need, not to give our other important relationships. We'll, we'll say things like, well, what, you know, once I get my degree and I graduate, then I'll have time for my family and my kids. Well, once I get out of debt, once I get the promotion, once the holidays finally get here, then I'll have time. I just don't really have time. I just don't have enough time. But the truth is, and I say this from my own personal experience that I'll tell you about in a moment, there's no valid excuse to the abundant time and the loving touch that our kids need. Because you know what I've learned in my life, why there's no valid excuse? I do what I want to do. I make time for what's important. I make time for the things that I value. And there's nothing we should value more other than our relationship with God than our relationship with our family. Amen, church? We've got to make time for, for these important things. I don't think I put this in your notes, but you might want to jot this down. Someone said this recently, and man, it has stuck with me. And it applies to what we're talking about with the family, you know, around the table where family happens. And it applies to other areas of our life. When we know that God is leading us to do something or, or to not do something, we can, we can all be so good at making excuses, can't we? But here's the thing. We can make excuses or we can make a difference. But we can't do both. We can make excuses or we can make a difference. And I know this firsthand because about 20 years ago, I was making a lot of excuses in my life when it came to time with my, my spouse, with Shelly, and, and time with my kids. And I came to a crossroads in my life, in my marriage, in my family. And I, I made a decision that was life-altering for my life and my kids forever um, 20 years ago, I had been married five years. Uh, at this point, we had three kids, uh, Caleb and Caitlin. Our son was three years old. Our daughter was one year old. And I'd started a family. The only problem was I hadn't started being the kind of husband and father that I really needed to be to, to provide for my family in, in a loving way and abundant time and those things. And, and, and I was still, you know, acting like a kid at times and hanging out with my, my buddies and my friends. And I, I, I was really into golf. Now, there's nothing wrong with golf unless golf gets in the way of your relationship with God and your family who's most important. And that's what was happening in my life. Those of you that may know me a little bit, I, I tend to be a little bit competitive um, and I don't like to lose. And so I had guys in my church, we played golf together. And I didn't want to just be good at golf. I wanted to be great. I wanted to beat everybody. I didn't want 
anybody to be able to beat me. Well, you can't play once a week and be great at golf. And so I start playing twice a week and sometimes three times a week. And I'd get up really early to play or I'd leave work a little bit early to play and I'd find time. But, you know, here was Shelly, my wife at home with two little ones, three years old and one year old. And what I realized was I was not taking seriously my responsibility as a husband and father. And, man, I'm going to tell you, God convicted me about it. I mean, smack me upside the head convicted me about it. I mean, bawling in tears convicted me about it. And I had to make a choice, and I had to make a decision. What's, what is more important, my marriage and my kids and my family or a little white golf ball? And that's really what it came down to. And so I made a decision, and I put my golf clubs away. I put them in the garage. And for the next 20 years, if I played golf maybe once a year, that, that was it. But I was a better husband. I was a better father to my kids. I was there for them. This last summer, my son is now 23. My daughter is 21. My son is now home from college. He finished four years of college. He's finishing up a couple classes online, but he's now home. And this last summer, I played more golf last summer than I played in the last 20 years. And guess who my golfing buddy was? My son. And we got to play together. And I can honestly tell you from the bottom of my heart as I stand before God as my witness, as I look back over the last 20 years, I have not regretted that decision for one second to put my family first and my kids first. Not for one second have I, have I regretted that decision. And I was able to be there and to be a better husband and to be a better father. And, and I realized the power of time, abundant time with my kids and with my wife. Billy Graham passed away last year. Billy Graham, before he passed away, was interviewed about his life many times. And one interviewer asked him this question. What would you do different in your life if you had it to do all over again? And, and it was interesting what Billy Graham didn't say. He, he didn't say, well, if I had my life to do all over again, I, I, would, I would have more gospel crusades. And so I could lead thousands more to Christ. Although that would be a great thing. He, he didn't say, I wish I would have started another school to train more people for ministry. He didn't say, I wish I had written more books to help people grow in their relationship with God. All great things. You know what he said? If I had my life to do all over again, I would have spent more time with my kids and my family. Interesting response. You know, and I don't want you just to hear uh, from me as a father and a husband about the, this subject and about the family around the table. Um, I had an opportunity to interview my wife, Shelly. We married 25 years, and I asked her to share a little bit about the priority uh, with our kids as they grew up, especially about abundant time. And I want to share that with you right now. Well, I'm here with my wife, Shelly, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about how important it is to spend abundant time with your kids. Uh, we are at a different season of our life, maybe than some parents. Our kids are now 23 and 21. But as you think back, when we started Orchard Church uh, 13 years ago, the kids were nine years old and seven years old. And at that time, we were the staff of the church. We did everything, and yet we tried to make our kids a priority. And so when you think about the time uh, that we spent with the kids, especially when they were, they were younger, um, 
what, what do you remember the most? I mean, what were some of the most memorable times that you had with them? You know, I think it's not just important that we spend time with them, but that we make them a priority that they would feel heard um, when they would come home from school and maybe have a rough day or get in the car after school to really hear what's going on in their life and be emotionally available for them. And so making that, that time a priority right when they get out of school, um, uh, cooking dinner and being home and having family dinners together um, is something that's really been an a, important and a priority for us. I know um, sometimes Doug would have meetings in the evening, but you would make it a priority to come home and have dinner and be there with the kids. And then even if we had something else going, we had had that time to connect as a family. I think for us, making them a priority was so important because you know, there will be other pastors' wives and people's lives or whatever, but I am the only mom to those kids. You know, you're the only dad to these kids. And so making sure that they're a priority no matter um, what other things are going on, you'll never get that time back. I mean, it's gone by like that. Um, now our kids are grown. You don't ever want to look back and have those regrets. And um, you investing in your kids is investing in eternity and um, you can't get that time back so I would say make it a priority and do what you have to do to um, connect with them and be there for them and especially when they're struggling to make sure you cut out time to um, support them and be there for them means everything. What are the three unchanging principles of parenting that Jesus modeled for us? First of all it was a loving touch a loving appropriate touch what was the second one abundant time because kids spell love t-i-m-e let me show you the third one today it's in verse 16 it says then jesus took the children in his arms he placed his hands on their heads and he did what church somebody help me out and he blessed them he blessed the kids it's encouraging talk the third principle is encouraging talk, that he blessed them um, with his words. We don't know exactly uh, what he said, but his words were encouraging. They were a blessing. Uh, they were life-giving, not life-taking words. We know what he didn't say. He didn't say, hey, kids, stop it. Cut it out. Stop touching him. Stop touching her. One. Two. Two and a half. And there's a time and place for that. Now, he just encouraged them with encouraging talk, the third unchanging principle of parenting modeled by Jesus himself. You know, I, I'm so grateful and, and was blessed, so was Shelly, to grow up uh, with parents that were so loving um, and encouraging. My, my dad passed away uh, 18 years ago. My mom is still alive. She's 89. Uh, she'll be 90 next June. I talked to her on the phone the other day. Uh, she lives up in Michigan by my sister. She said, I'm going to make it to 90. And I said, Mom, I believe you are. I mean, she is really still spry. But man, she would, and my dad and, and Shelly's parents were so encouraging um, growing up. They, they believed in us. They, they blessed us with their words. They empowered us. They gave us confidence. Uh, my mom and dad said you know Doug you you can do whatever um, you want to do you know whatever your goals and dreams are whatever you want to uh, obtain we believe in you you can do it except maybe dunk a basketball 
I mean, they were realistic, all right? All right, they were realistic. And they encouraged that. And so because Shelly and I experienced that, we had that model for us. We tried to carry that with our kids. And one of our goals with our kids to show them encouraging talk was to be their biggest cheerleader. Uh, we would say that all the time. We are going to be our kids' biggest cheerleader. I mean, who else is going to do it? Because we live in a very negative world, don't we? And it's very demeaning and there's bullying. We want to make sure that this table, our home, is a safe place that we can encourage our kids and we can brag on our kids. Parents, you know, parents sometimes they brag on their kids and then they apologize. I don't think we need to apologize for bragging on our kids. Who else is going to, amen? And we encourage them and we, we, we bless them. And man, our, our kids were very different. They are very different. Uh, my daughter, Caitlin, uh, she's the creative one. She's really funny. She's really outspoken. Um, she's an A-type personality. She was always the one in the, the plays and the dramas and things like that. And we would always go to those. And uh, my son, Caleb, is more the reserved one. He's kind of quiet. Doesn't say a lot. And when he does, it's really good. It's really profound. Um, he was the athlete. My, my daughter could care less about sports. All that Caleb cares about is sports. And um, he played sports, you know, from the time he could practically walk, and he, he played uh, high school baseball, went on to play college baseball, and, and uh, I know this may surprise you being that Caleb is a Dameron, he wasn't always the biggest kid on his team, and that probably shocks you, but he was always the fastest kid on his team, and we would say, Caleb, speed never has a bad day, and man, he embraced that, it took him all the way through, through college, and, and we just encouraged our kids, and we, and we bragged on our kids, and we, we said, you know, you, you can do whatever, um, you know, God leads you to do if you stay close with God. You, you know what James tells us in the, in the book of James? James says this, that there is, there is the power of death and life are in our words, in the tongue. The power of death and life are in the tongue. What, what are our words saying to our spouse, to our kids, to the people we work with, our neighbors? Uh, what are our words saying? Are our words life-taking or are our words life-giving? There is powerful um, things that can happen and blessings when we bless our kids with encouraging talk and, and be their biggest cheerleader. There's a book. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever read, the, read this book. It's called The Blessing. And I'd encourage you to write this down. It's by John Trent and Gary Small. And uh, this is a powerful book on doing some of these things we're talking about today, a, a loving, appropriate touch, abundant time, but especially it focuses on encouraging talk, blessing your kids uh, with your words and believing in them. It's based on the Old Testament principle uh, where the father of the home would always bless his kids before he would pass away. And so I would highly encourage you to pick this up, uh, read it. Um, there's some super practical things in here. And I would love to give this away to a family right now that have kids, high school age or younger, and you promise you'll read it and put it into practice. So first hand that goes up that wants it, I saw your hand right there. Can you toss that back there, Eric? There you go. Give, give her a hand. Good job. See, it pays to sit close to the front at Orchard Church, all right? I might be doing that again next service, so just hint, hint. You know, it's interesting. Um, as you read the scriptures, I think the, the best uh, parent son relationship you see in the Bible is God the Father with God the Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, our, our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. He's the best Father. Amen? And, and, and something that is interesting is there's only two times recorded in the Bible 
the audible voice of God speaking directly to his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying he didn't speak to him other times. I'm sure he did. But there's only twice that people on the earth heard the audible voice of the father speaking to his son, Jesus Christ. And both times, God says the exact same thing. One time it happened when Jesus was baptized. The second time was when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. We have it recorded one of those times in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And watch what God the father as a parent says to his son. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great, what church? Great joy. What was God the Father doing to God the Son? He was giving encouraging talk. He was blessing him. He was being his biggest cheerleader. He was saying, man, I'm proud of you, son. I love you so much. You're on the right track. You're knocking it out of the park. He modeled it for us. The power of the unchanging principle of encouraging talk that applies to our kids, our spouse, and other relationships. Now, as we begin to wrap this up, I know what is going to happen throughout this series as we're challenged in these areas. Some of you may hear things in this series and you say, well, my parents didn't do any of those things for me. And I understand, and I'm sorry, and I know that's a reality. And here's how I would challenge you. If your parents didn't do any of these things for you and you now have kids of your own, break the cycle. Amen? Break the cycle. Say, I'm going to do for my kids what wasn't done for me. Um, my, my mom and dad were very encouraging with their talk with me, um, but when it came to abundant time, uh, my dad, quite honestly, was never there for me. He was a workaholic. He worked, you know, 60, 70 hours a week trying to provide for the family. Um, I played some sports growing up, not as much as my son, but I did play some sports, and I played some baseball, some football. I was a wrestler in high school. Um, I remember one time in my entire life that my dad came to any of my sporting events, one time. My son played hundreds of games through the years. I can only remember two or three times that I ever missed any of his events because I was out of town at a conference or something. And I said, I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to do this different. This is important. And And it's been a game changer. I remember a few Christmases ago, and it was when Caleb was graduating high school right next door at Prairie View High School. And he had won All-State um, Team of the Year and Player of the Year and all of these things. And um, he didn't have any money. Always busy playing sports, not, not working. And, uh, but he wanted, to give his, he wanted to give me something for Christmas. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I opened the gift from, from Caleb. And it was, it was a baseball. And he said... I love you, Dad, and I wouldn't be where I'm at without you. That's one of the most precious gifts I've ever received in all of my life. It's in my office right now. I value that more than almost any, anything I've got. But it didn't happen by accident. I made a decision 20 years ago that changed the course of my life, my family, my kids' life. You know, it starts with encouraging talk. You could put this into practice tonight, parents. You say, well, I don't know where to start. Well, you can start right here at the table. Encouraging talk. Hey, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? You know, one of the greatest ways you can encourage your kids is to pray for your kids and let them hear you pray for them. I remember I used to take my kids to school and I would pray with with them on the way to school. Hey, how can I pray for you today? You got a test or whatever. I I, I pray for them and encourage them. Before they would go to bed, we would pray with our kids. We pray at the, the dinner table. These are all ways that we can encourage our kids with encouraging talk. 
As we wrap this up, James says this, and this is usually a verse that we just kind of apply to our lives in the light of eternity, but I want to apply it to parenting and family this morning. It says, James says this, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's what, church? It's, isn't that true? Now, if that's the way God would describe our life, that our life is like the morning fog that's just here for a little while, and then it's gone, how would God describe the time that we have with our kids? Especially when they're growing up. You know, I I run into uh, these new parents all the time here at Orchard Church, out there in the lobby, and you know, you'll have your new baby, and you'll come up and show me your new baby, and look at Pastor Doug, here's our new baby, and I go, oh, it's so cute. I lie. I'm sorry. Newborn babies aren't cute. It takes a while, right? But I go, oh, yeah. Oh, you want to hold it? No, I'm good. Till they can hold up their head. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going there. But here's what I always say. Here's what I always say to those new parents. In this season of your life right now, the days are long. The years are short. Isn't that true, parents? The days are long, but the years are so short. They're here and then they're gone, and you can't get them back. It seems like yesterday that I was handed that little baby boy. It seems like yesterday that I was handed that precious little girl. And now they're 23 and 21. One moment they're a baby and you blink and they're taking their first steps. You blink again and they're riding their bike down the driveway for the first time. And then you blink again and they're driving a car out of your driveway to go to school or go to work. And you pray, oh Lord Jesus, come quickly. then you blink again and they're driving off to college eight hours away or off to work or to start a life or to start a family of their own and parents I would just say if you think I'm being overly dramatic right now just blink just blink it's here and then it's gone let's embrace what Jesus modeled the three unchanging principles of parenting. A loving touch, abundant time, encouraging talk, blessing our kids. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would uh, take these things to heart. I pray that this would be a life-changing moment for some families that are at crossroads like I was 20 years ago. That this would be a series, a moment they would look back to and say, that's when I did things differently. And 10 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, they'll say that was one of the best decisions I ever made for me and my family. So we continue an attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. How many of you as parents would say, you know what? God has spoken to my heart today. I know there's some adjustments that I need to make. I'm at a crossroads. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug, that I would be able to put these things into practice in my family and in my life? Would you slip up your hand for prayer? Parents, would you lift them up all over? All over, Moms, dads, 
grandparents, God bless you, amen, hands are everywhere, you can put them down. Maybe you're here today, you say, you know what, I, I, I know I can apply these things to, to my relationship with my spouse. Um, I can re- apply these things to with re- my relationships with people at work. And God has spoken to you about having healthier relationships today. Would you slip up your hand for prayer if God has spoken to you and challenged you in that way? Amen. God bless you. Father, I pray, again, that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And that whatever you're leading us to do or to stop doing, to make our family a, a priority, to put these unchanging principles into practice, that we would do them for your honor and your glory and our family's good. So we continue an attitude of prayer. If you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you what I've learned in my life and in the lives of working with thousands of people over 28 years of full-time ministry. It's impossible to have a God-honoring and healthy family and marriage and relationship with your kids without God in your life without the perfect loving Father in your life. But when you have God in your life, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it changes everything. It makes you a better husband, it makes you a better father, it makes you a better person. And and it overflows into all other relationships. And so for some of you that may be at a crossroads today, what you need to do is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as a mom, as a dad, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer of faith out loud, and I'm going to invite some of you to pray this prayer for the first time from your heart to God's. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come up, speak up. Just pray this from a heart of faith to invite Jesus into your life today, and everything can change. This isn't a magic prayer. These aren't magic words. But if it comes from a heart of faith, you can have your sins forgiven and your relationship with God restored that will change all your other relationships as well. If that's you today, you know who you are. I invite you to pray this prayer from your heart to God's right now. And it goes like this. Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. Yes, be my Lord. Yes, be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to know follow you thank you Jesus for loving me help me to love others the way you have loved me let's continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed nobody look around for a moment I don't want to embarrass anybody but if you just prayed that prayer for the first time it's the most important decision you could ever make and I would love love the privilege to pray for you right now that you would grow from this moment in your relationship and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ I'm going to count to three without anyone else looking around would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you if you prayed that prayer one two three lift them up nice and high yes God bless you sir God bless you ma'am thank you yes over here thank you yes in the back thank you I believe over on my left yes two or three people over there amen thank you amen yes thank you over here amen amen Church family, let's pray and let's welcome our new brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. Father, we lift up all those today saying yes to you as Lord and Savior. We celebrate their decision. We pray that their relationship with you would change all their other relationships around them for your honor and glory and for our good. And we welcome them in to your family. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen. Saying yes to Jesus is the biggest decision you can ever make. We've created this booklet to help you in your next steps. 
So if you've prayed that prayer, let us know by emailing us your address to yes at orchard.church and we'll send you a copy.